If you will, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 21. And if you've been with us on Sunday morning, you know that we're going through the book of Acts. And if I were going to title uh, the message this morning, I would call it The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor. So we're going we're gonna to jump into that, and I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. But just to remind you, if, you, if you're in Acts chapter 21, and if you look there at verse number 8, if you'll remember last week, uh, we talked about Paul being bound in the Spirit. And we examined how all through the book of Acts, especially as we get here toward this latter part of Acts, we see that Paul has a, a burden to get to Jerusalem. He wants to get to Jerusalem before the Feast of Pentecost. And over and over again as he goes through his missionary journey, he is met by uh, people in the church, the Holy Spirit speaks a prophetic word over and over again and warns Paul that he's going to be imprisoned, that trouble awaits him in Jerusalem. Now, you know, we try to look at the question, well, it kind of makes us think, well, was the Holy Spirit warning Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Was the Holy Spirit telling Paul, don't go? Was Paul disobedient when he went? And you know, we, we're not going to go back through that, but if you'll remember, we went through all the verses in the book of Acts where that is mentioned, and we came to the conclusion that Paul felt bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit, I don't believe, was forbidding Paul to go. The Holy Spirit was simply letting Paul know what was ahead for him when he got to Jerusalem. And it kind of caps it off there in Acts 21, verse number 8. There, uh, And we'll, we'll start there in where Paul has... Uh, they're almost to, uh, to Jerusalem. It says, On the next day we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when, we would not, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. So Paul was bound in the Spirit. He's going to Jerusalem. And look there in verse number 15. So after those days... We packed and went up to Jerusalem. Now I'm going to stop right there. He's going to meet with the Jerusalem elders, but we're going to talk about that maybe next week. I want to focus on that pronoun, we. I mentioned it several times there in the passage I read about the prophet. And there in that first verse, the author of Acts says, after those days, we prepared or we packed. Now, We've read that word we, so who's the we in the book of Acts? And I want us to look at who that we is, and then we're going to look at a specific person. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, 
And there we have the introduction to the book of Acts. It says, The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which He was taken up, after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom also He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, the author of Acts says, The former account I made, O Theopolis. Well, what is the former account he's talking about? Well, we go back to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, and we look at the introduction to the Gospel of Luke, and we find that account. Here, the author of Luke says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding, or another translation is having accurately followed all of those things from the very first, to write to you in an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So, many of you know this, that Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and, and the account we call the book of Acts were written, they were two volumes written by the same person. And that person was none other than the good physician, the good doctor, Luke. And I want us to take a, a moment this morning and just examine who the author of this book that we've been studying for these several uh, weeks and months now, the book of Acts, this man Luke. What do we know about Luke, the author of the book of Acts and the author of the gospel of Luke? Who was he and what can we learn from him? So we've already determined from the first introduction to Luke and the introduction to Acts why Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. There was a man named Theopolis. We don't know anything about him other than he had to be an important Roman official because of the title that Luke gives him, the title of most excellent Theopolis. That was a title that was reserved for someone uh, in the government, in the bureaucracy of ancient Rome. Many Bible scholars think that perhaps he was a Roman official who was converted to Christianity when Paul was in prison in Rome, very well could have been, and that he wanted to know more about Jesus and more about what had happened, and that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts to give him that account. So we know that Luke wrote it to a man named Theopolis, probably a Roman official, and he wrote it so that he could understand more about the Jesus whom he had come to faith in. Just a little sideline there. What came first to Theopolis? A full understanding of everything about Jesus or his faith in Jesus? The first thing that came was his faith in Jesus. And I think that's a very important point. I was having a conversation on Facebook with a guy that I grew up and went to school with. And he's not an atheist, but he is someone who just really doesn't believe... Um, you know, that if there is a God, He's just not worth worshiping. As He puts it, you know, the, 
the God, he, he reads the Bible, reads some things in the Old Testament. He says, well, you know, any God that does all this, I just, I just don't like. And I'm not going to worship Him. He's not, he's not anybody I want to give worship to. And I don't want anybody taking His so-called morality and pushing that upon me. Well, as I conversed back in two with this guy and, and, and we talked about that, I noticed something that someone else had put on a comment there, on a post that he had made about that without the revelation from the Father, you're not going to have faith in Christ. And I think about Theopolis. We don't know anything about Theopolis, but what we do know is that he came to faith in Christ before he knew everything there was to know about Jesus. And that's the reason that Luke sent, wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts to give Theopolis, who now had a hunger to know more and more about this Jesus that had changed his life so radically, he wanted to know more about him. And that's a wonderful truth that all of us need to understand. People are not going to get saved because we give them a whole bunch of information about Jesus. They're only going to get saved when Jesus awakens their heart and He reveals Himself to that person, and that person understands and knows Jesus in the Spirit, not with their head. Because what does the Bible say? With the heart, man believes unto salvation, not with the head, but with the heart. So the most important part of us that must come to faith in Christ, it's not our head, it's our heart. It's our heart that comes to faith in Christ. So just a little side note there. Uh, that Theopolis came to faith in Christ with his heart. He came to faith in Christ with his heart. His, his spirit was awakened by the Holy Spirit and he embraced the gospel of... He didn't know everything about Jesus. Hey, I don't know everything about Jesus. You don't know everything about Jesus. Nobody knows everything about God, but yet we believe in God if we're a Christian. We believe in Jesus. Not, again, not because we have all the answers... But I would present to you because Jesus revealed Himself to us at some point in our life, we reached out to Him, we grabbed Him with the arms of faith, and we embraced Him with the arms of faith, and He changed our life. And our life since that time, as the old hymn writer said, more, more about Jesus, more of His saving grace to know, that, that's, that's the battle cry of every believer. We want to know more about Jesus. He's changed our life. He's done something wonderful in our heart. He's brought love where there was hate. He's brought peace where there was confusion. He's brought grace where there was guilt. And we want to know more about Him. Some folks wonder, why, you know, I just don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. Well, I have to ask, you probably don't know Jesus if that's the case. You've probably not been saved. If you have no desire to go to church, you have no desire to read your Bible, you have no desire to learn more about God, because my friend, if you know Jesus, you want to know more about Him. I always get in trouble when I start down this path, but I'm going to start down it anyway. You think about when you were dating your wife, or I'm always reminded what Fred Flintstone, that great marriage counselor, said. Once, I've always remembered it, watching the cartoons when I was a little boy, uh, someone asked Fred Flintstone an advice about love. And uh, Fred Flintstone said, I think it was Barney that asked. Barney was asking some advice, I think. And Fred said, Barney, what do I know about love? I'm married. <laughs> I don't know who, what the writer was that put that in that that cartoon. Well, that was always funny to me, even when I was a little boy, before I knew anything about love, marriage, or anything else. But, and it's actually more, it's still funny to me today. 
But you think about when you're in love with somebody, you desire to be around that person. You want to interact with that person. You know, I can remember when I was dating Lloyd, uh, Mama and Daddy are here, and you know, this was before cell phones, by the way. So uh, if I wanted to talk to Lloyd, I had to call, and it, by the way, back then, you know, now nothing's long distance. Everybody gets a plan, you know, free long distance. Well, that wasn't the case back then. You know, from Atkinson County to Irwin County, it was long distance. And if you made a phone call, it showed up on the phone bill. You know, and I remember we, Lloyd and I just started dating, and I'd called her several times, and uh, I remember my phone bill must have come in, and, and uh, I think Mama said, Son, how many calls did you make, Docilla? You know, you're going to you're gonna have to work on that a little bit. Hey, but, uh, you know, I was, I was living off love, losing weight, you know, I didn't have anything to lose. You know, f- folks say marriage is a grief. You know, folks get married and they start fattening up. Well, they quit living off love, I guess. I, 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 I don't know what happened to him. But, you know, you get in love, you won't eat, you won't do anything. But, that, you know, that, that, that you just love. And, you know, in a spiritual sense, that happens to people. You know, people come to faith in Christ. That Christianity is new to them. That grace, that love, that peace. And, and man, they want to go to every church service, every revival. They're just listening to preachers on TV. They've got Christian tapes everywhere. And, and uh, you know, you give them three or four years, or some of them three or four months, it seems like. And, and uh, like one deacon at Mount Zion told me, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. But we had an old hound dog came up on the porch at Mount Zion. And, uh, you know, I was just making conversation. I said, Brother Lloyd, what are we going to do about our... This dog here that's every service, he'd be on the porch, just hanging out, trying to want people to pet him. He said, uh, I'll tell you, preacher. He said, if you'll baptize him, he'll quit coming in two or three Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, that's, that, that, that's pretty good. All we got to do is just dunk him in that pool and you won't see him in about a month. You know, he won't be back again. Uh, but sometimes that happens. You know, I, I guess the relationship gets old, but, but, but that's a long detour. Let's get back to Luke. But, but Theopolis, the point I was making, was Theopolis came to faith in Christ not because he knew all the facts about Jesus, because Jesus awakened his heart. The Holy Spirit did. Even Paul the Apostle, he was struck down on the Damascus Road. It was that faith in Christ that came, and then they added knowledge to that faith. So... We, we know we have the book of, book of Luke and the book of Acts, and Luke wrote those two books. Well, what do we know about Luke? Well, we do know, first of all, that the book of Acts had to be written probably around A.D. 60-62 during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And the reason we say that is because there's some things that happen that, that Luke doesn't mention in Acts that... If they had have happened, we almost certainly know he would have mentioned them. He, first of all, it ends with Paul still in prison in Rome. And we know that Paul was released from imprisonment probably around A.D. 62 and went back out ministering again before he was rearrested uh, probably around A.D. 66 by Nero and was executed that very same year, very quickly after being arrested. So Paul was executed around A.D. 66. We know that James, that's mentioned in this chapter, that we're going to get to next week, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that James was martyred in Jerusalem in A.D. 62. Well, there's no mention of that 
in the book of Acts. So we assume that uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts before that happened. And we also know that the temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Roman general Titus in A.D. 70 when the Romans put down the Jewish rebellion in Palestine. And of course, there's no mention of that. So, so we believe that Luke wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke's probably when he was with Paul in prison in Rome in A.D. 60 in A.D. 62. Well, Luke is mentioned three times in Scripture and that we can learn a lot from those three mentions of Luke. All three of them are, are by the Apostle Paul in Paul's letters. Let's look at the first one. The first mention we find of Luke is in Colossians chapter 4. And there in Colossians chapter 4, this is the, the as Paul is ending his letter to the church at Colossae, and remember, Colossians was written when? During Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, sometime between A.D. 60, A.D. 62. So Paul is writing, and always at the end of Paul's letter, he adds greetings from the people that are with him. And that's when Luke is mentioned first in Scripture. Let me just read to you. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Very important. What did he just say? He just mentioned a list of people, and he says basically, these are the only Jews with me, those who are of the circumcision. That, that is a way of saying a Jewish person. So Paul is saying these... Paul was a Jew. He said, these are the only Jews with me, believers in Christ. Now he mentions some other people that are obviously not Jews. He says, verse 12, Ephras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he was a great, he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Oropolis. And now verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So we know a couple of things about Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, about Luke from what Paul says about him here in Colossians. The first thing we know is that he is definitely a Gentile because Paul lists a, a group of people and says, these are the only Jewish brethren with me. And then he lists the Gentiles. And Luke is list, listed among the Gentiles. Now we would assume he was a Gentile by his name. His name is a Greek name. And so we assume that, and so we know for sure that he is a Gentile. And we know something else about him. We know that he was greatly loved because Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician. Now, I don't notice that he said that about anybody else. But he mentions that Luke is beloved. And we're going to find out, I believe, one of the reasons he was so greatly loved by Paul before we finish our description of Luke. But he was greatly loved by Paul. He was a, a Gentile, a Greek. He was greatly loved, and then it says his occupation. He was the beloved physician. He was a doctor. Now, you know, I think about the old country song. Country, that's a genre of music. I don't know, some folks might not understand what that is. But you remember the old song, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys? Let them be what? Doctors and lawyers and such. So a doctor by the author of that song is a reputable profession. 
in relation to, say, a cowboy, okay? Or a politician. Uh, well, let's move on. <laughs> Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. So to be a doctor in our day and age is certainly a reputable reputation. Well, it was the same 2,000 years ago. If you were a physician, you were a doctor, that was a respected uh, position. And so we know that he was a physician. Now, one writer made mention of this. I've never noticed this, but I, I thought it was a wonderful comparison. You know, Mark was the first gospel, we believe, that was written. Probably Matthew and Mark. Mark and then Matthew. And then Luke, probably the third gospel in terms of time that survives that was written. And so Luke and Mark have a lot of similarities in terms of the things that are listed. And Mark, in Mark chapter 5, and Luke, in Luke chapter 8, both tell the same story. It's a very familiar story. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood... And remember, she had, she had spent everything on all the doctors, the Bible says, and was nothing better. And she came to Jesus, and Jesus healed her. It's very interesting, the wording that Mark uses versus the wording. Remember, what, who was Luke? He was a physician. He was a doctor. Mark says it like this. It says, And a certain woman had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. All of us, I'm sorry, Dr. Burt and uh, Eric, if he listens to this via, uh, you know, recording. I apologize in advance, but all of us who have been with a doctor can identify with Mark. She had suffered many things of many physicians. I, I've heard people say, you know what, I'm tired of getting poked and prodded, and, you know, they give me this and give me that. I feel like a guinea pig. And, and sometimes it feels that way. We go to a doctor, and they're trying different things, and, and give us this medicine, give us that medicine, and, you know, take her blood. And, I mean, my goodness, somebody make a different way of getting blood than sticking that long needle in your arm, right? My goodness alive. That, I remember visiting a guy in the hospital many years ago, and uh, I always thought this guy was real tough. I'm not going to call his name. He actually passed away now. But I, I was visiting this guy, and, and uh, I'd known him since I was a child. And the nurse come in there, she said, we're going to give you a shot. Called his name. He said, not with that needle you ain't. <laughs> I, I know he, he was scared to death of that needle and we can all identify and Mark says she, he, she had suffered many things of many physicians well how does Luke tell that story all the facts are the same but he uses different words Luke when he tells the story he says it this way that the woman had spent all her living upon physicians and neither could be healed of any he didn't say she had suffered many things of many doctors. And, and the writer pointed out that, you remember, Luke was a doctor. He sympathized with the doctor. He just simply said that not that she had suffered many things, but she had spent all her money on doctors and medical care, and nobody could help her. Help her. They'd tried. They'd done the best they could. But nobody could help her. And so I just thought that was an interesting note. So we find out that he was a Gentile. We find out that he was greatly loved. And we find out that he was... A physician. Well, the second time that uh, the second time that we see Luke mentioned is in Philemon. Philemon, and Philemon only has one chapter. And again, toward the latter part of that letter to Philemon, Paul is greeting Philemon from the people who are with him, and he says, "Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow." Laborers. So we see 
that he was a fellow laborer of the Apostle Paul. He was one who was with him. I will mention one more thing about Luke being a Gentile. You and I don't recognize it because neither you and I, I'm assuming none of you speak Greek fluently, or if you do, then please come help me study. I'd love to have you sometime uh, assist me in my study. But I don't, I don't speak or read Greek fluently. I'll, I'll look at Greek words and look at those individual Greek words. But for those who know Greek and know it fluently, if they study the book of Acts and the book of Luke in the original Greek, they notice that whoever wrote that was a person who was very fluent in Greek. And more than simply fluent, they were probably a very educated person because, you know, people speak and write in different ways. I, I love to listen to Adrian Rogers. But I've listened to him so much that he'll start to say something I already know what he's going to say before he finishes it. Because I've heard him use that phrase. And I'm sorry, you that have been uh, here in this church since I've been the pastor, uh, you probably fall asleep and say, well, I can tell you what he said. You know, he says that, that same phrase. But when people write, we all do that. You know, we have certain phrases and certain ways of saying things. It's just our human nature. We're creatures of habit. And and Luke was that way. And and he had a very polished style of writing. So we know he was a a person who was a Greek, a person who was very educated. And he used Gentile expressions rather than, like Paul used a lot of Hebrew expressions. Well, Luke used a lot of Greek expressions expressions that were popular uh, in the Gentile world. So, and we know that he was a fellow laborer. He worked alongside Paul. And the last part, the last time that, that Luke is mentioned in Scripture is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Now remember that Colossians and Philemon were written during Paul's first imprisonment around AD 60, AD 62. And that's when Luke is mentioned. Now... It's about A.D. 66 or so. Paul is in prison for the second and final time. He's about to be executed by Nero. And Paul understands this. He knows this. You know, all through 2 Timothy, he's saying goodbye over and over again. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to be offered. And he gets to the end of 2 Timothy, and it's really a very sad passage. Remember all those workers and helpers that were mentioned up in, uh, in Philemon and in Colossians, one of them's Demas especially that was mentioned in both places along with Luke. Well, look in 2 Timothy 4.9. Paul is writing to young Timothy. He says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. How sad. Demas, the one who was with him in the past, had worked with him alongside of Luke. Yet here in 2 Timothy... Demas is no longer there. Paul very plainly says, he doesn't say he's left, he says he's forsaken me. He abandoned me. Having loved this present world and is departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, and Titus. Titus, Paul says, far, if I can get my paper, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for the ministry. I believe of everything we know about Luke, those four words say more about Luke than anything else. Say more about him than the fact that he was a Gentile. More about him than the fact that he was a physician, a doctor. More about him than the fact that he was a well-educated man by his writing and the style of writing he used. 
And that is, that tells us about his character and his faith. Paul is in prison in Rome, about to be executed. Every Nero at this time, if you, if you put the two together and you understand by A.D. 66, Nero was in the middle of, of a severe persecution of Christians. He had decided they were a good scapegoat for all the problems in Rome. And uh, he was putting Christians on poles and, and, and putting tar on them and setting them on fire to light up the night. That was a nightlight in ancient Rome at that time. It was Christians hung on a pole and, and, and tar placed upon them and lit on fire to burn for hours to illuminate the night. This was the, the psychopath of Nero and the cruelty of Nero. And, and Paul is here in the midst of this when he writes these words. This is what's happening. The great persecution against Christians by Nero. And, and no wonder Demas had, had left. Demas had said, hey, you know, this was all fun and games at one time, but, uh, you know, things are... It, it's getting a little dicey for me. I'm, I, 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 I'm checking out. I, I'm, I'm headed out. And many others had left. But verse 11, Paul says, only Luke is with me. No wonder he was beloved by Paul. Because Paul could depend on Luke. Come hell or high water, come thick or thin, it didn't matter what happened. Luke was dependable. His faithfulness until the end. You might say, well, what happened to Luke? Well, as I mentioned, Luke is only mentioned three times in Scripture. These three uh, references that I mentioned that the Apostle Paul made. You might say, well, didn't he write the book of Luke? And didn't he write the book of Acts? Doesn't he ever mention himself? No, he doesn't. He says, we, a lot. But never does Luke mention his name, certainly not in the Gospel of Luke, but in the book of Acts in which he was a participant. He was with Paul on many of these journeys. Luke never calls his name. He never makes mention of the fact that he is a physician, which was something he could be proud of, but he doesn't mention that. i tell you something else very interesting I found. We can't prove this. But a lot of Bible scholars think that Titus and Luke were probably brothers. And they have several reasons they believe that. One is that they were both Greek. And, and in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 12, uh, Paul mentions about Titus being the, the brother of, uh, of Luke. But that could mean a spiritual brother, just a brother in Christ. But we do know they were both Greeks. And another very interesting thing is that not only is Luke never mentioned in the book of Acts by name, but guess who else is never mentioned by name? Titus. And Titus was there. But if Titus were a close relative of Luke, decorum of the day would say you don't mention yourself and you don't mention your close family members when you're writing about something it was seen as immodest. And Luke would show his, his humility by not mentioning his name and not mentioning... Think about John. Remember John, the, the Gospel of John? John did the same thing. You know, the Gospel of John, he never mentions himself by name. He simply says the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he never says John. He never calls himself by name. So we see that Luke was most likely a very humble man. He was a faithful man. And we don't know what happened to Luke. We don't know if he was martyred. The only clue we have, the only clue we have is in the 2nd century, 
which you say about 100 years, maybe 150 years after the book of Acts was written, in a manuscript that has the Gospel of Luke, there's a prologue or an introduction to the Gospel of Luke. We don't know who wrote it, just somebody in the second century. And, and, and they, make a, they make mention about Luke, who Luke was, and this is all they say about him. They say, having neither wife nor child, Luke served the Lord without distraction. He fell asleep in Boeotia at the age of 84, full of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's all we have. We don't know if that's true or not. It could very well be true. We have no reason to doubt it. We don't have any evidence that Luke was martyred. Luke, the good doctor. You have the book of Acts, and you have the gospel of Luke, which theologians tell you is one of the most detailed accounts of all four gospels. It is very detailed. Written by a person who paid close attention to detail. The book of Acts, a very detailed account. Think about a doctor. He's, he's been trained to examine and to collect the evidence and, and, and to write everything down and come to a logical conclusion about a diagnosis. And here we have the beloved physician, Luke, loved by Paul because he was a faithful helper to Paul. And I leave you with this. Loved by Paul because he was faithful until the end. Remember, Luke is one of those who begged and pleaded with Paul. Because he said, we pleaded with him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. Paul said, I'm, I'm going. I'm going. Why are you bothering me and breaking my heart with all these tears? I'm going to Jerusalem. He was bound in the Spirit. Did Luke get mad? Get pouted and say, I told you not to go. I told you this is going to happen. I told you you were going to get arrested and shipped off to Rome. He didn't get bitter. He didn't say you should have listened to me. He was there with Paul to the bitter end. He stood beside him. I tell you, I want a friend like Luke. More than that, I want to be a friend like Luke. I want to be someone who will be a faithful helper to those that God has called me to help. I want to challenge you. you you're a Luke to somebody. You're Luke, the beloved physician, to somebody. You're one who can stand beside someone and like Luke, when everyone else forsakes, you can still be there, faithful until the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for examples like Luke in Scripture. The good doctor, Luke, the beloved physician, that you called out of the life he was living, no doubt a comfortable life, no doubt a life where he had no financial worries, but yet, God, you called him out of that life to a life of ministry, to a life of suffering, to go with the Apostle Paul and to be beaten, to be chased, to be arrested, to be thrown into prison. But yet we never find a place where Luke is bitter or angry or complaining about what he has lost or what he has given up for the gospel, always he is found to be faithful. Always present where he should be, in his place and in his position of service. I pray, God, you will help us to be like Luke, to be always faithful, always true, always obedient to the call of the Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You're here this morning as we stand and sing a hymn of invitation. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. You want to come pray?
or you'd like for me to pray with you, you just obey the Spirit as we